This is the Barology Podcast. Merry Christmas, Mike. Well, Merry Christmas to you. What is this, number 35? No, no, no. This is episode 41, sir. 41? 41. Wow, I must have slept through the last few. Well, the last episode was uh, one that we pre-recorded. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. right. Because uh, you and I were just way too busy with uh, a walk, or uh, yeah, w- no, Journey to no walk to Bethlehem. Yeah, walk, walk to Bethlehem. Walk yeah. to Bethlehem, which turned out phenomenal. Oh, it was I mean, wonderful. I had a great time. I mean, I played King Herod. Uh, you played a wise man. Yes, I did. Not, not a wise guy, but a wise man. <laughs> um, and it was fun. So we yeah. were in. Uh, you were there what Friday night, right? Friday night. Yes. Yeah, and so we were in there with a few other people that uh, we knew. Robin Brucker, she was in there. Right. Um, but we didn't know uh, some of the other people there. No, we didn't. And uh, we had a good time. Like. Uh, Lots of fun conversation in between uh, repeating the same thing. Yes. Over and over <laughs> and, and over. over again. Yes. And uh, I'm not sure if I could repeat, repeat it all now if I needed to, to tell you the truth. You did find King Herod. So, all right. Well, guess what, Mike? We still have coming up Flying Horse Farms uh, Thursday, Friday. I'm sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6 to 10 p.m. Uh, it's Light Up the Camp. It's their. Um, annual light show that they're doing and uh angela and i went last night took the kids had a fantastic time uh, it's a 10 minute show about um and it has four songs this year and uh did you know did you ever go out to state route 95 or 19 uh the guy who had all the lights yes yes he donated all of yes, his lights i knew that yes well and, he didn't his family did well after he passed away yes yeah. um i can't remember the family name but yes well so it was really weird because i wasn't aware of that and so when we were driving around, I'm like, well, wait, I think that. And then it says mm-hmm. the guy from 19's lights. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So uh, that was a good time. Um, so that's coming up. And then we went to, and I'm going to pronounce it the way I think it is, Choina, the Choina family in uh, okay. Cardington. Okay. Uh, they have a fantastic light display. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so if you go on Facebook to uh, Choina, uh Trying Christmas celebration, I believe is what it is called. Um, it is if you haven't seen it, it's um, it, it's actually pretty cool. It's Trying uh, Christmas Wonderland. Uh, it is at twenty seven ninety nine Township Road one sixty seven in Cardington. Um, they're they basically are running around the um, all through the holiday here, and when you go, it's actually kind of cool because you can see the lights way before you even get there because he's got some lights that are like up in the sky too that are you know like shining on the, okay. on the sky and um you'd go and you pull in and you turn your radio on and drive back this long driveway and there's lights and stuff everywhere and it's only a one lane driveway mike all the way back there are uh, like two or three pull-off spots so that cars can pass each other mm-hmm. you get back there and then you can stay and listen i think there's eight songs that he has timed the lights to oh it's awesome and i think he used to do this in cardington uh, right down by Susie Q's, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, so we went and saw that last night. That's great. That runs Sunday through Thursday, 5.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then Friday and Saturday, it's 5.30 to 11. And again, that is the China Christmas Wonderland. And that is at 2799 Township Road 167 in Cardington. And uh, this week, Mike, we have a couple things here. The First Baptist Church is busy this week on, uh, let's see, I think it's the 22nd and 23rd from 6 to 7. 
they're doing their live nativity right there in front of the First Baptist Church. That is right next to the post office in Mount Gilead, for those who don't know. Um, I think they're going to have pretty good weather for this. Unfortunately, there will be no snow uh, for for that. And then they have their Christmas Eve service um, on the 24th at 5 p.m., and that is, uh, yeah, right there at uh, the First Baptist inside. So you don't have to be outside. You can go inside uh, the First Baptist Church there in Mount Gilead. And then Trinity United Methodist Church is having two Christmas Eve services, one at 5.30 and one at 7 p.m. And uh, Ken Barnett showed a picture, posted a picture of the sanctuary at Trinity with all of the poinsettias. Just, It's a gorgeous church anyway. And then to see all the, the red and the, uh, it's just Great time. So thanks to Ken for posting that picture. And then, Mike, you know, we are at the point where Christmas will be over a week from today. Well, yes, it will. So we're recording on Sunday. Yes. And uh, by this time, Christmas will be done. We will have eaten and gorged ourselves and gotten gifts and given gifts. And so what do you do with that old Christmas tree? Well, I would suggest that we give it uh, to the uh, State Lakes. Well, so close. <laughs> it's we actually going to. There's a couple of different centers. Yes. So, uh, the Eco Center, it's called the Holiday Tree Donation for Brush Habitat. So, it's uh, running the 26th through January 15th. And um, make sure you take off all of your decorations, tinsel, everything off of your tree, lights, all that good stuff. Just the tree. That's all they want. Just the tree. Uh, it says, um, along with our friends. Paradise Nature Center and Headwaters Outdoor Education Center. They're organizing a holiday tree donation for the Marion and Morrow counties. Between the dates of December 26th and January 15th, we will be accepting live tree donation to create a brush habitat. Once your holiday has been thoroughly enjoyed and your live tree, any species, doesn't matter, stripped bare of all the decor, pick the drop-off, uh, pick the drop-off location that is most convenient to you uh, and Basically, follow the directions below. It is all drop-offs are contactless. So literally, show up, toss your tree, and uh, they'll take care of it from there. Uh, Please dump it in the piles or or where they've got the signage. Just don't, like, roll up and toss it out. Uh, There will be signage posted for the drop-off locations to indicate where the tree should be placed. Brush piles are a very important habitat element for many different kinds of wildlife. They provide cover from predators and a place for nests, escape routes, and dens. Many insects are attracted to this pile of decomposing wood as well, which then provides a bounty of food for birds, amphibians, reptiles, and other mammals. Collectively, our goal is to collect over 150 trees for this project. If, you, um, if you're an organization that would like to host a drop-off point for four trees or have questions concerning the project, please reach out to us at info at ecocenterohio.com. That is info at E-C-O-C-E-N-T-E-R-O-H-I-O.com. And drop-off instructions will also be posted on their Facebook pages very soon. Eco Center's address is 1757 County Road 59, Caledonia, Ohio. Paradise Nature Center is located at 1536 Whetstone River Road, North Caledonia, Ohio. And Headwaters Outdoor Education Center is located at 151 Home Road, Mount Gilead, Ohio. So there you go, Mike. That is all that I have coming up um, for this Christmas season. And then we're going to be right in New Year's Eve celebrations, Mike. So if you're interested in getting uh, a drink 
some good food, listening to some music. How about joining the Implications New Year's Eve Bash at the End Zone Bar and Grill in Mount Gilead? It starts at 9 p.m. on uh, the last day of the year here. And uh, why not celebrate with them? That'll be a good time. Uh, Dane Johnson is in that band there, and uh, I know the folks out at the End Zone would love to celebrate with all of you. And then, Mike, the first thing that we're we're really pushing in 2022 is the Carhartt Convention. Oh, yes. So, February 26th, starting at 9 a.m., the 42nd Annual Consignment Sale. It's at the Mara County Fairgrounds. Grab your Carhartt bibs and coat as well as your warm socks. It is time for the consignment sale. Um, we honestly don't know what the weather will be. No. It could be 50. It could be 30. It could be 20. <laughs> it could be snowing. It could be raining. Who knows? Um, but it'll be a good time as it always is. So, uh, what else do you got, Mike? That's all I've got on my list. Uh, that's all I have. Um, one thing about the uh, consignment sale now is Carhartt going to pay for their sponsorship since we mentioned their name? I doubt it. Okay. We probably didn't, we didn't, you know, work that up and we don't, we probably don't have like a good enough, um, a fan base yet for them. Oh, that's true. You know, they probably want like, you know, 10,000 downloads a week or something. But uh, give us a few more months and we'll be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only thirty six thousand in Morrow County, so um, it would be nice to have thirty six thousand downloads in a week. We're reaching out to Morrow County and beyond. All right, so um, that is all I've got for coming up, folks. And uh, Mike, you're going to share some stuff with us today, right? Yeah, I uh, thought that I'd find the origins of some of our Christmas traditions. Well, that sounds fun. And I thought that would be very appropriate. And and I was pretty sure that uh, the number of um, activities that we had to share was dwindling as Christmas is nearing. So um, I'll just uh, go down through a few of these. And it's kind of fun to see where our traditions uh, originated. Perfect. There we go. <laughs> well, let's start out with Christmas trees. All right. Decorated trees date back to Germany in the Middle Ages, with German and other European settlers popularizing Christmas trees in America by the early 19th century. A New York woodsman named Mark Carr is credited with opening the first U.S. Christmas tree lot in 1851. A 2019 survey by the American Christmas Tree Association predicted that 77% of U.S. households displayed a Christmas tree in their home. Among the trees on display, an estimated 81% were artificial and 19% were real. And I must also give credit here uh, that the things I'm sharing come from the uh, history.com online. So um, I didn't... uh, You didn't take time to research these? Right. I just printed it off. So, but I have to give those folks credit. Um, Do your kids like the Charlie Brown Christmas? We've not actually seen that yet with them. They they don't have a real long uh, attention span when it comes to movies sometimes. Okay. Unless it's Frozen. Well, uh, it started when I was very young. Um, decades later, it may be hard to imagine that this beloved TV special inspired by Charles Schultz's peanut comic strip was first rejected by CBS executives. But when it finally aired on December 9th, 1965, I would have been five years old, almost half of all U.S. TV sets were tuned in to the broadcast and the show went on to win an Emmy, a Peabody, an, endur- an enduring following, and even a trend of Charlie Brown Christmas trees. I never thought it was such a bad little tree, Linus says in the special. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. 
We had one of those when I worked in the lab. Just the little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Now, have you ever heard the uh, tradition of Christmas pickles? No, but I think it's a German thing, right? Um, let's find out. Yes, it is. If there's a pickle among your snowman, angel, and reindeer ornaments, you're likely taking part in the American tradition of hiding the green ornament on the tree so that the first child to find it wins a gift or gets to open the first present Christmas morning. The practice's origins are a bit murky, or should that be briny? (laughs) But it's likely it grew from a Woolworths marketing gimmick from the late 1800s when the retailer received imported German ornaments shaped like a pickle and needed a sales pitch. Well, that would, <laughs> I would say you would probably need a sales pitch to get rid of those ornaments. Yeah, it sounds like they I mean, were like they like, were in a pickle. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> you know, have you been to Bronner's in uh, Michigan? I have not. I want to go oh, there. Oh, it's a good time. Is it, it really is. There are so many ornaments there. They have pickles of all sizes, real tiny ones. And then, I mean, you can get all kinds of ornaments there. We usually go and get all the nieces and nephews there first. Oh, cool. They're first. Um, and they get them personalized for them. And yeah. it's a good time. Yeah. Well, um, here's one that you might celebrate in your house, Joey, the Elf on the Shelf. We actually have not because, uh, well, we got it out and uh, I moved it a couple times and then that's kind of where it died. Okay. Well, it, it didn't die, but we didn't get it out this year. Okay, love it or loathe it, since 2005, moms and dads have either joyously or begrudgingly been hiding a a toy elf each night from Thanksgiving to Christmas. More than 13 million elves have been adopted since 2005 when Carol uh, Abersold and her daughter, Chandra Bell, published the book Elf on the Shelf, a Christmas tradition that comes with the toy. Social media has even inspired some parents to set up elaborate scenarios for their elves, as in, he TP'd the tree, she filled the sink with marshmallows. So uh, those little elves can be quite mischievous and um, kind of interesting. That's not a very old tradition. No, and uh, there's actually some Pinterest pages um, with ideas for you just to, to do with the elves. Yeah. And some fun things. There are some um, people who <laughs> I saw somebody posted on Facebook. They, um, the elves got into, they have two kids, so they had two elves, and the elves actually got into the kids' toothbrushes. Oh, no. But they put Nutella on them, and it said oh. that, uh, yeah, they scrubbed the toilet for them. <laughs> it was funny, but it was gross at the same time. Yeah, I, I've seen some gross elf on the shelves online, so uh, be careful what your kids are looking at. Uh, the Yule Log. I've heard. I don't think that. You have a fireplace here, do you? I do not. I want one. Yule logs were part of ancient winter solstice celebrations, but it was Americans who turned the wood burning into a must-see TV. Back in 1966, WPIX-TV in New York City aired a continuous 17-second loop of a fireplace for three hours, along with holiday music. That led to an eventual better production in nearly 20 years of annual viewing. Today you can view the Yule log on demand and on and on the uh, years of annual viewing. Oh, <laughs> I'm rereading the same line. You can um, view the Yule log on demand and on the web. So, so we have we have done that. We've actually turned on uh, Netflix. They have a, a it's basically you just stare at the fire. It's a you know pre-recorded fire and. It's, 
it's it's safer. Cool. It's uh, there's no carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide. Yeah, that's or, true. You know, uh, none of that that you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about anything catching on fire. What else you got? Well, um, uh, what about uh, what about the advent calendar? Uh, yes, there are lots of different ones: chocolate, wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, early versions of this tradition started in Germany in 1903 by publisher Gerard Land offered a way for children to count down to Christmas by opening one door or window a day to reveal a Bible passage, poem, or small gift. Since gaining mass popularity by 1920, the calendars have evolved to secular calendars that include daily gifts from many bottles of wine to nail polish to chocolates to action figures. Yeah, the chocolates wouldn't last long in this house. (laughs) And I don't mean by the kids. Angela loves chocolate. Oh, okay. Yeah, she loves chocolate. Okay. Um, Here's one that you've participated in, I'm sure. Ugly Christmas sweaters. Yes. Yeah. My uh, father-in-law has one. It's a Michigan sweater. Oh, okay. That's that's an all-year-round ugly sweater. But anyhow, (laughs) you can blame our neighbors to the north for this silly, ironic tradition that really gained steam in the 1980s. According to the Ugly Christmas Sweater Party Book, the sweaters became a party trend in Vancouver, Canada, in 2001, and the trend is seemingly here to stay. According to Fox Business, the ugly sweater industry is a multi-million business with websites such as Tipsy Elves, retailers including Macy's, Kohl's, and Target, and even food chains jumping on the ugly bandwagon. Wow. <laughs> I know. There's a business out there. I mean, there are, there's actually, I saw one. It's uh, got garland and it's got a mirror on it and it says U- ugly sweater. So when yeah. you go to look at it, your face is on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that one's kind of cruel, but okay. I thought it was kind of funny, honestly. Um, candy canes. Yes. And uh, this is hey, a good there one. are four, four food groups, candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. And the fifth one, chocolate. No, four. There's only four. Okay. And elf, candy, candy corn, candy. Oh, Okay. Canes and syrup. Okay. okay sorry. So, Whether devoured as a treat or hung on the tree as decoration, candy canes are the number one selling non-chocolate candy during December and date back to 1670 Germany. The red and white peppermint sticks arrived stateside in 1847 when a German-Swedish immigrant in Worcester, Ohio, placed them on a tree. By the 1950s, an automated candy cane-making machine was invented cementing their mass appeal wow and wooster yes wow yes that uh, is, how'd you say that i said wooster it's oh uh, yeah 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 well wooster's a male chicken um that's a rooster <laughs> uh we got time for a couple more yeah i've okay. got one for you too okay go ahead so um i was always curious about why we hang wreaths on the door Oh, okay. Uh, And I I wasn't sure. So it's a symbol, and it's a symbolism. um, The wreath symbolism of, I'm sorry, the symbolism of a wreath has been used at funerals since uh, since at least the time of ancient Greece. It represents the circle of eternal life. Evergreen wreaths were laid at the burial place of early Christian virgin martyrs in Europe. The evergreen representing the victory of the eternal spirit over death. So basically, it's a ever you know life is never right, never over. Kind of like the uh, symbol of the wedding band. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no beginning. I mean, just no end. It's it's continuous. Okay. Um. Let's see. What's another good one here? Uh, gingerbread houses. Oh yes, we've done that. Oh, they're they're tasty. Um. Nothing like molasses. 
Although Queen Elizabeth I gets credit for the early decorating of gingerbread cookies, once again it's the Germans who lay claim to starting the gingerbread house tradition. And when the German brothers Grimm wrote Hansel and Gretel, a new holiday tradition was born. Today, the edible decorations are available in a slew of pre-packed kits. So I think that's kind of cheating, buying the pre-packed ones. Yeah, but it's a lot easier. I'm sure it is. Especially and if you have, little, you have ones, little ones, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's a whole lot simpler that way. I mean, the way. icing usually gets eaten anyway before it even makes it onto the house. Ooh. Now, uh, Joey, do you like fruitcake? Mm, I don't like fruitcake, but I have a whole skit about fruitcake. Oh, I love it. Sister Julia, child oh, of Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love fruitcake. My mom used to make it, made homemade fruitcake. I mean, uh, I guess I could use fruitcake if I needed to hold a door open or something. Oh, I'm just saying. You don't know what's good. I heard, okay, there will be three things after the apocalypse that will be left on Earth, okay? Twinkies, Betty White, <laughs> and fruitcake, okay? <laughs> Those would be the three things. Okay. <laughs> oh, five, four. There's cockroaches. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yeah, like the one they Cincinnati. You ever heard that song? Yes. Um, <laughs> we'll play it later. Um, making fun of fruitcake. Making fun of fruitcake. I hadn't read that. A favorite of the Brits, both Princess Diana and Kate Middleton served it at their weddings. Fruitcake, that much maligned mix of dried fruit, nuts, and brandy, has been the subject of long-running American holiday jokes. Truman Capote wrote a short story about uh, fruitcake weather. In 1956, the small town of Manitou Springs, uh, Colorado, Holds an annual fruit t- fruit cake toss day. That's easy to say it's on like January third, and the dessert has become fodder for many a comedian. For example, in 1985, Johnny Carson cracked the worst Christmas gift is fruit cake. There is only one fruit cake in the entire world, and people keep sending it to each other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they make fun of it, but I like fruit cake. Uh, Mike, do you know why the the Christmas colors are green and red? You know what? That's a good question. Why? Okay, so I had to do a little research on this, and okay. I found it on a couple sites. So I, I, you know, you've confirmed it. I've confirmed it. Now, whether the sources are good, it was not Wikipedia. So I mean, they're very valid. So, lightbulbs.com is what I'm going to read from, and it says, "Why are Christmas lights and colors typically red and green? Even though there are so many Christmas lights to choose from, why is it that red and green are always the colors we associate with uh, with the holiday?" Some believe this is this color tradition began because of the red berries and green leaves on the holly plant. Oh. Um, the holly is able to survive under freezing winter temperatures, and the plant's colors stay bright throughout the winter season. Some consider these colors to have a religious connotation with the holiday, uh, as red is often associated with the symbols of life and blood throughout the Bible. I thought that was really neat. You know, I always, I always wondered that, and doing some lighting design, it was one of those questions I had, so. Well, certainly. What else you got? Uh, let's talk about the 12 days of Christmas. You ever thought right. about that? I have, and actually, um, you do that. I'm going to find out how much that it would cost for the 12 days I of actually Christmas. have that here. Oh, you do? So that's part of this, so. You have the real, the today's price? I do. With I the do. inflation? We will talk about that here in a moment. All right. And then you will hear the rest of the story. And that's the way. That's Walter Cronkite, sorry. Oh. Even though most hear the song between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day, the Christian 12 days of Christmas, which span the birth of Jesus and the visit of the Magi, actually take place December 25th to January 6th, 
the earliest version of the poem, turned song, is thought to have been published in Mirth Without Mischief, a children's book from 1780. With the modern version, credited to English composer Frederick Austin, who set the poem to music. Each year, the PNC Christmas Price Index totals up the total cost of the 12 gifts named in the song based on current market prices. Now, this is for 2019. For 2019, everything from a partridge in a pear tree to 12 drummers drumming would run up a bill of $38,993.59. Wow. (laughs) That's more than our budget. And now you know the rest of the story. Um, yes. Well, this has been, I mean, this is kind of interesting to find out, you well, know, why we do what we do. I think it's fun. Yes. Yes. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people just do it because, well, that's what we've always done. So what, what, you know, what is that? But why do we do it? Yeah. Why did our ancestors do it? Yeah. It's been pretty interesting. Well, let me, let me share one more. Okay. It's a uh, Christmas lights. Uh, Thomas Edison may be famous for the light bulb, but it was his partner and friend, Edward Hibbard Johnson, who had the bright idea of stringing bulbs around a Christmas tree in New York in 1882. By 1914, the lights were being mass-produced, and now some 150 million sets of lights are sold in the U.S. each year. Well, that's because you can never untangle them, so you throw the whole thing away. (laughs) Start over. Go down to the dollar store. There you go. Oh, they're awful. Although, I like the LED ones. Yeah. I like those, especially the ones you can, like, manually turn the colors on your phone. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty cool. They're a little bit more expensive, but... So, Mike, I got to tell you, I've got some very disappointing news. Uh-oh. This year, Christmas 2021, looks like we only have about a 25 to 40% chance of a white snow. Uh, so yeah. the snow will be a different color? Well, I hope not. I hope it's not <laughs> yellow. Uh, don't eat yellow snow. Yeah. That's a tip for all of you out there. Um, no, so it says, uh, I'm looking here at weather.com, or weather.gov, and it says historical probability of a white Christmas. So that's greater than one inch of snow on the ground. And it says that basically um, if you are, it looks like maybe just south of 70 Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a 10 to 25%. If you are, uh, n- north of 70 all the way up to Lake Erie and it kind of cuts out Toledo and going up towards the, uh, Pennsylvania line there. Um, it's about 25 to 40% chance. Uh, when we were younger, I can remember, um, my stepdad works for ODOT and he would routinely, <laughs> he and uncle Steve would always get called out to go plow on Christmas Eve, and you could tell nobody was wanting to work on Christmas Eve <laughs> because they'd get multiple calls and finally go in um, to go and, and clean the roads off for us to drive home. Um, we used to go to um, my grandparents' house every Christmas Eve. All of the cousins would be there, and uh, they had so my grandparents had three kids, then they got married. And then, I mean, the family just, like, there was literally... That would be the May side of the family, correct? Yes. Yes. There was absolutely no room. I'm quite familiar with that family. Yeah, no room left in the house, so... Okay. Um, And, you know, you you miss those as those people, you know, leave us and and move on. You know, you get to miss things like that because you don't get to see and and do that, and then your kids don't get to experience that. Right. But, But the thing is, Joey, 
you can make new experiences with your kids and, and a whole new generation. And we do. We go to sure. Nana and Grandpa's on new, on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else you got, Mike? Um, well, if you want some more, I have plenty plenty here to share. Well, let's see how how far are we into it. We're twenty eight minutes in, so we have. Uh, let's do let's do two more if you have them. Okay, we can do that. Um, let's see. How about that? Cookies and milk. Cookies and milk for Santa. While leaving treats for Santa and his reindeer dates back to the ancient Norse uh, mythology, Americans began to sweeten up the tradition during the Great Depression in the 1930s as a sign of showing gratitude during a time of struggle. So that's where the tradition of giving, leaving milk and cookies for Santa started. Uh, let's talk about a really well-known and beloved poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. Oh, yes. Best known as The Night Before Christmas, the reading of this classic by poet Clement Moore is an American holiday tradition. Believed to have been written on Christmas Eve of 1822, the New Yorker is said to have been inspired by his sleigh, by his sleigh ride home. According to the U.S. Library of Congress, Clement, a professor at the General Theological Seminary in Manhattan, was embarrassed by the work, which was made public without his knowledge in December of 1823. Moore did not publish it under his name until 1844. Hmm. I can't imagine being embarrassed by that. Well, you know, if you're the author, I suppose you're more critical of your work than other always, folks. Always, always, yes. definitely always. So uh, is that it with the, with sharing, Mike? That's all you got? I think that'll be enough for this Christmas. We'll, we'll save some of some for next Christmas. All right. I'm well, sure we'll be around. I hope. Um, so I think I'm going to release something special. I think I'm oh. actually going to release a copy of um, The Night Before Christmas. Okay. I'm going to read it, and uh, maybe I'll have my kids on here with me, and we'll we'll post that. Oh, cool. I think it'd be fun to do. So um, we'll do that. I think we're going to go to the zoo lights tonight, take All the kids. Right. And uh, What time are we leaving? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure, actually. I You'll do probably a, tell me a different time when you've already <laughs> left, so it's okay. I, I, I do what I'm told. <laughs> I leave when I'm told. Um, do you have anything else, Mike, that you want to share for this episode? Or uh, That's it, except for uh, going to back in history. Oh, do you have one to go back to history with? Oh, yes, we do. All right. And well, I haven't even shared this, this with you. No, you haven't, which makes me very nervous. All right, here we go. Ready? <laughs> yes. Well, I had heard about this, and I had my friend uh, Stan Sipe do some research. Does he found know the old... you use that F word with him? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he is a friend, yes. But uh, anyhow, uh, he did some research in some old newspapers. And um, uh, do you realize that there are a couple of places where only some a person's body part is buried in the Rivercliff Cemetery? Um, I'm not surprised by it. Okay. I'm not at all surprised by it. Well, I'm going to read these articles. The first one is from the Union Register from February 14th of 1900. So this is over 100 years ago. Uh, Concerning the burial of a dismembered foot. An unpleasant experience endured by Charlie Bailey at Mansfield. Mrs. Bailey of Mount Gilead has been at Mansfield two or three times since her son Charlie met with the accident there that claimed the loss of a leg. The mother explains how much the son appeared to suffer 
until that part of the limb had been taken off and sent to Mount Gilead for burial, was removed from its resting place and washed and placed in a more natural position. The patient, although 25 miles from Mount Gilead, complained continually that his foot troubled him and appeared to be in great misery until the very hour when it was taken up and dressed by a physician and carefully replaced in the burial box. This being done under the watchful care of the mother, Mrs. Bailey, says she had often heard that the unnatural position of a severed foot or hand seemed to be fully uh, seemed to be fully understood by an unfortunate loser and could never before realize the truth of such reports. Yet she now knows by an unpleasant experience that such tales are actually true. So um, I've heard of that. You know, they call it phantom pain. You lose a, yes. a, a limb, and if the limb isn't put in a comfortable position, you feel that pain, from what I understand. Yes. And concerning that, Charlie Bailey isn't buried in Section 9 at Rivercliff Cemetery. Only his leg is. So there's one. Oh, you've got more. There's another one. There's another one. Okay. This one is, I'm not sure which newspaper this is from, but it's from November 3rd of 1909. Uh, suffered by a Columbus man in his leg, which was buried in Mount Gilead, dismembered part taken up and reburied. Suffering intense pain in his left leg, even though that part of his body had been cut off and had been buried in Rivercliff Cemetery in Mount Gilead, 45 miles distant, William H. Copeland of Columbus was un- unable to rest until the dismembered leg had been taken from its grave and placed in a new position in the box in which it was buried. After Mr. Copeland's leg was amputated last Tuesday to give him relief from rheumatism, which affected him in that part of the body, the leg was brought to Mount Gilead by Malin B. Copeland, a nephew, and buried in Rivercliff Cemetery. When the nephew returned to Columbus, Mr. Copeland was in great distress and complained that the leg which had been buried in Mount Gilead was paining him because it was in an uncomfortable position, resting on the calf and heel as if he were lying flat on his back. Everything possible was done to relieve Mr. Copeland's suffering, but it was finally found necessary to send the nephew back to Mount Gilead and have the leg taken from the grave and placed in a new position in the burial box. Now, William H. Copeland isn't buried in Section 30, Row 21 of Rivercliff Cemetery with the other Copelands, only his foot is. Okay, that is, uh, <laughs> I, I have heard of the phantom pain. What is throwing me is that due to rheumatoid arthritis, they cut the leg off. Yeah. Um, nowadays, that can be treated and uh, the pain relieved, but... Uh, yeah, that seems like a minor reason to amputate a limb. Well, I mean, now it does, but I yeah. guess then, I mean, and it could be very painful. Sure. Um, so, all right, Mike. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mike. So, quick pop quiz. Okay. What movie is this from? Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Oh my! Is that? Is that? I don't know. Christmas vacation. Oh, so that's an, oh yes, yes, yeah. Oh, okay, yes. 
I Clark planned Griswold. I planned out our whole day. First, we'll make snow angels for the first two hours. Then we'll go ice skating. Then we'll eat a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can. And then we'll snuggle. Ooh. I don't know. What movie is that from? That would be Elf. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that in a while. Which, as a plug, Mar Little Theater will be doing Elf Jr. in November of 2022. Okay. Um, let's see here. Oh, wait, here's one. Yes, yes, I do. I like Christmas. I love Christmas. That's not from... The Dickens, you say. Oh, A Christmas Carol. It is A Christmas Carol. <laughs> um, here's one. I never thought it was such a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe just needs a little love. Now, we talked about that just a little bit earlier. Yes, a Charlie did. Brown ki- uh, Christmas. Yes, we did. Linus said that. Um, we're going to have the hap- hap- happiest Christmas. And I can't finish the rest of that because of what he says there. Oh, okay. Um, oh, is that also from uh, Christmas Vacation? It is. Okay. Yeah. I can, um, I can see Clark saying that. Here you go. You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> a Christmas story. You know, I was talking about going to Granny and Grandpa's and that movie was playing because it was on a 24-hour loop at that oh, point. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> that's easy, but I can't figure it out. <laughs> I can picture the uh, Collie McCalkin. Um, Home Alone, yes. Yeah, it is Home Alone 2. Um, oh, it's one. Um, strange isn't it each man's life touches so many other lives when he isn't around he leaves an awful hole doesn't he oh that would be have to be it's a wonderful life it is it's a wonderful life um Mm -hmm. i'm looking here there were just a couple that i thought that were really good ones okay um but, uh, of course, I can't find the one that I really wanted. Uh, here we go. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more? Oh, that's from the big green guy. How the, how the Grinch stole Christmas. That's right. Um, yep. It's, uh, I mean, there's uh, all kinds of, of fun things around here um, that you can look up on Facebook uh, and on google and you know just chat about so well mike i think it's time that we end this episode however i think somebody may be flying by oh really yeah is it is it merry christmas all right folks merry christmas and And merry christmas have a happy new year and uh we will be taking next week off so there will not be an episode next week for uh christmas as mike and i um take our our uh, holiday uh but we will be back um after the first of the year so happy new year too yeah uh we'll be back because it falls on a friday so we'll meet that sunday so two weeks without us i hope you can you can get by folks um but until then we'll see you adios (laughs) 